Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Before we get into today's topic with today's guest, Mark Graham is here to join me to talk about Cominsky University on January 15th from 845 to 1150 at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Ballroom L on the second level. We will have Cominsky University. Mark, what is Cominsky University? Why did you create it? What's its purpose? So we created Cominsky University to give people a place where they could learn more about the application in a hands-on way at Expo. We knew that people were hungry for information about Common SKU, the application. So we have created this environment where we go and talk about all the features that distributors use to run their business. And we also give them a roadmap in terms of what's coming down the pipe. And then we also have a session for suppliers because, of course, suppliers use Common SKU as well to engage with distributors and grow their business with the distributors on the platform as well. So we thought by creating this setting where distributors and suppliers could come together, peek under the hood inside the application and learn more about it was a really good use of people's time in the morning. Let me break that down a little bit. The event kicks off at 845 from 9 o'clock to 950. 10 ways suppliers grow sales on CommonSkew, a presentation by you and Samantha Cates. At 10 o'clock to 10.50, Catherine Graham presents how CRM helps distributors ignite sales and retain customers. From 11 o'clock to 11.50, Catherine Graham and Aaron Kucherway will present hacks, new features, and the road ahead. So it's a quick, easy morning, and CommonSkew University is free to attend. You can register at commonskew.com university. Speaking about your performance compared to your potential, you or your sales teams probably have a lot more potential. You have to cross off those things, they're wasting their time, get more efficient with their daily structure, and then their performance will be higher. 11,000 orders, four golden pyramids, and millions in sales. Maddie Toom knows a thing or two about selling. Helping Wood Associates, currently Brandvia, grow from 20 million to 87 million in revenue, and also as a successful sales leader, Maddie has trained many salespeople through the years, including 20 national account managers for Cintas, and as vice president of sales and marketing at industry distributor leader Shumsky, Maddie is passionate about helping people master the art of selling. Today's episode is from our SKU Camp event in Palm Springs, California, where Maddie led a session on how to master the art of selling. You can download the PDF from Maddie's presentation at community.commonskew.com. Over the next several weeks, we will be releasing more of the audio recorded at SKU Camp. And since many of you are still deep into business planning for the upcoming year, we hope this series of presentations helps you and your team as you plan and grow. In this episode, Maddie unpacks years of practical insight from onboarding to performance improvement plans, managing supplier partnerships, business development, and the episode kicks off with the habits of top producers. And now from SKU Camp, Maddie Toon. These are some of the habits of top producers in our organization or, or most sales organizations within the industry. Prospecting. January 1, you have to realize you're going to lose 20% of your business. Finding a niche. Taking an expert on sales calls. We try to bring our suppliers on end user calls when we can. Prepare for meetings. They say attorneys prepare four hours for every one hour in court. Do we follow that same philosophy? We request virtuals from suppliers every day. We produce professional quotes through CommonSkew. 
We treat the suppliers like gold. We embrace technology. And we join networks and committees of organizations to try to build our business. And of course, we ask for referrals. Then we try to figure out how we're going to pay people. And you know, everyone's on different commission plans and things like that. But I just wanted to use this example of what we, what we call our margin bogey. And that's where, you know, say you have somebody who's doing 400000 in revenue. What can you pay them in a salary? And what's your split? But this is really what I want to point out here is this. We try to put away 5% for extras because we want to bonus the sales support people in the organization. And then we want to put about 3% towards marketing, samples, travel, and artwork. The other thing that we do, I mentioned, you know, I'm talking a little about, about staffing because it's really important to the team right now to have descript, job descriptions that point to what they're doing. When HR writes the job descriptions, they don't really know so much what's going on in the daily life of a promotional products person. So we don't want any misconceived uh, notions about what that person's doing on a day-to-day on a -day basis. We have biannual objectives, so twice a year, we're giving them three things that they have to do. Goals are made to be attainable, but then we also have pips. This is somewhat new for me, because usually in sales, you're only as good as what you sold. But we are now using performance improvement plans, and they're really good because they get it out on the table how we're going to help this person get better, better at their follow-up, or better at uh, going out on, on calls and having more of a schedule. Performance improvement plans are a big part of sales organizations inside and outside the in industry, so I would highly recommend looking into them. The other thing we do is we set expectations. So this is an example of a salesperson with existing accounts and new sales support. So what I try to do is have them draw out a pie chart and tell me how they're going to spend their time over the next six months. And then we go back and look at it afterwards. Because they always forget about this training part. You know, we're bringing on a new sales support person. They really have to invest that time to get what they want out of that person. And, and you got to leave that extra time, that miscellaneous in there. But I want to know up front, before we get started, what are we going to do over the next six months? The rookies in our organization, the training begins in customer service. We've had luck where we bring in people into the sales support for our custom business, but then we haven't, you know, 50% of the time. I like to start them out in customer service. We have about 30 online programs and let them start talking to customers um, in, you know, first on the phone with products that are in stock. We have them file the catalogs. We have, make them work client events, um, on-site events, whether it's out of town or local. And we really want them to get their hands dirty. But training and development, I mean, there's so much out there. I mean, I learn a lot just by watching the videos from our suppliers. And we, what we tell them is, listen, your boss is busy. You've got plenty of opportunities to go learn about this industry and to get good. And it really starts with the product catalogs. We create a glossary of terms. You know, we need them to know what the difference is between a spec sample and a pre-production sample. And then we look at their business writing, because a lot of them look like this, you know, up top here. Sharon, your golf ball shipped yesterday. All's good. We have your tracking. First thing I look at is, you know, lowercase on that person's name. That's not a good sign to me. I want a detailed email giving them instructions and telling them what next steps are. 
giving them, you know, making them feel like their project is in good hands. So we really work on the business communication skills with our internal team. The other thing that we do is when we bring on new people is we give them 25 practice orders. We don't want them working on live orders in the beginning. So the first five are pretty easy. And then the next 10 might have a, um, uh, a little you know, diciness to it. And then the 10, the following 10, are, we're, we're trying to trip them up a little bit and see how, they, how they, their problem solving skills are. But it's really good to do this because then you can test your people to see if they, and, and, and measure them for accuracy and for speed. Because we have some you know, people, they come into the organization, and it might take them all day to do eight orders. But we have some people that can knock out 20. So we want to marry those people up with the right salespeople. Then of course, you know, we want to know, we want them to know who the decorators, importers, trucking companies, freight forwarders. I had somebody who's been with us for two months recently ask me what's our UPS number the other day. Order write up, we're teaching them left hand, what, what logo's facing the left hand drinker, what logo's facing the right hand drinker. We're, we're attaching a virtual to every single order, even on reorders. You know, I use this example internally. This is an organization that I've been following and, and getting orders or, or how they communicate through the sales process and order trafficking. And I'm trying to teach our organization to do the same thing. I don't really like when our clients call us and want to know where, where's their order. So I'm trying to train our internal people to make sure that we are calling them before they call us. Virtuals, this is another one. These are not proofs. These are concepts. So we're trying to train our team to do this up front every single time and do this as soon as you make your first call with the client. I want to know, I want to say, when they say we're looking to do cooler bags, send me the artwork that you want to use. I want to know. And then immediately we are sending those virtual requests to the vendors. It just speeds up the process and we try to get those virtuals out to the clients quicker before they can call anybody else to get a bid on that project. And then in the proofing, this is another thing that we teach. It's, it's our spell it backwards method for, for doing proofs. This is an example just recently of a $3,500, 500 calendar order. And the client approved it. And we caught this right here where it's, set, where it's got four digits in the, in the area code. So what we teach our team is to, to spell every word backwards because you have a tendency to read through the whole thing. And then this is one thing that I really like that we do, is that every embroidery tape, we rename it by the stitch count. So this way, when we're looking up orders quickly, we can easily quote that project, and we don't have to guess, oh, I wonder how many stitches this, this file has, or the three, three inch wide versus the four inch wide. Doing this ahead of time and training your people to follow a process like this and getting their cupboard organized is, is just critical to um, some of the sales things that I'm going to talk about here in a second. The supplier calendar. Again, this is all pointing, I'm getting to the sales side of things, but it's organizing your time and making sure, you know, if we have our top 40 suppliers, we're seeing them twice a year. We have a full catalog that's visible. I hate Google Docs for this. I want to see it, you know, in our in the lunchroom, I want to see it posted on the wall. And then we bring in another 20 suppliers as well. It's just keeping a schedule so that we are not in, we're outselling more than we're, we're in, the, in the conference room. 
And with the 40 suppliers, a lot of times management and teams are at, they're saying, you know, we got to sell more from the preferred suppliers. But I always point to the zippered coconuts. I mean, 65% of the time, that business is going to those preferred suppliers. But we're always having to go outside the box and find these things for our clients. So if you're being pushed by vendor relations or, or management to sell 100% of the time to your top 50 suppliers, it's just really impossible. So we try to set the expectation about 65%. We have a gold, silver, and bronze. And every supplier meeting, every trade show we go to, we make a list of, of the products that we found, and then we develop those into uh, portfolios through Common SKU. We never walk out of a supplier meeting or go to a trade show without having this list because it's typical where you come home, you have that bag of stuff that you found at the trade show, and then you, you move on to your emails. So we really take a systematic approach to, to finding our best products and building those product galleries. No more, sell more. Not only attend the supplier meetings, but I try to visit as many factories as I can because I want to be able to explain when that client wants you know, a thousand plastic trade show bags, I want to tell them that I saw the machines and that you can't stop the machines that fast. You have to order 3,000. And I want to be able to bring our new people to the supplier factories and have them learn from the experts. I have an upcoming event in, or a client event this uh, next month in Salt Lake City. I'm going to try to take the time to, to build in an extra couple hours to go see Snugs. So I recommend that every time you can, when you're traveling. From an art department standpoint, but one thing I try to do when I'm talking to our clients is I want them to think that we make everything inside our building. I notice our new people say, oh, let me contact the vendor or let me check with our outside source or whatever terminology they're using. I want them to think that everything is designed in our building and that that stuff is, is coming from us. Because when you start to use those terms about let me contact our supplier, then it looks like they can get that from, some, from anyone. I want them to think that they can only get that product from us. This is one of my hate, most hated slides. This is the peach shirt. I tell our salespeople, you are only as good as your last order. So when you, you know, your holiday gift ideas might have been great last year, but you, you have to come up with something better this year. And now you might do 50 great orders for one customer, but if you do that one order where the VP of sales catches you in the hallway and you get introduced to him and he says, oh yeah, Maddie, you're the guy who did those peach shirts at our sales meeting. And I'm like, I didn't pick that shirt. You know, the marketing team picked that shirt. But we try to go above and beyond every single order. What are we going to do next time? What are we going to do next time? So even after we get the, that order, we are thinking about and making notes as to what we're going to present the next time we see them. And we try to be as consultative as we can. So let's get into some strategy. So in the planning process, I put the word written above this icon here that says business plan. Because you have to write this down. When you write it down, when you, write it down you avoid the wrong turns when your best path is laid out in writing. Making it up along the way will send confusing signals to those who support you. That is huge. You cannot you know, go through or be halfway through the year and start coming up with strategy. You got to be writing it right now for next year. Remember, you're losing 20% of your business. So set goals, 
ask yourself these questions. What are you going to do? Why is this, this important to do it at this time? How are you going to do it? And when will this be accomplished? Then we start looking when we're doing our planning process as what's the perfect year? You know, a million bucks at 37%. And how are we going to break that out? Two we have some reps who are, you know, go big time and they want all $100,000 clients. But this seems to be the model that when we go back and look at the numbers, what did we achieve? Two clients at 100,000, four at 50, 10 at 25, 20 at 10,000, and 30 at 5,000. This, and, and then the following year, these $5,000 customers, they might be moving up to 25. But we're always looking for that million dollars. Where are we gonna get that million dollars? Think small. You know, we talked about in the last session about face-to-face -face meetings, 85% more effective than virtual meetings. Now, I think we're at a big benefit living in Ohio. Everything's 20 minutes. Or we can go over to Indianapolis, Cleveland, Lexington, Columbus, um, Cincinnati. It's very easy for us to go face-to-face. -face. And when we get a new lead, if it comes in through the web, we're trying to be there for an appointment that week and drop something off. But this is an example of uh, something that you know, I've tried in the past where we took one rep and they put 50 new prospects into the CRM. They send out a generic broadcast email. They get little response and there's barely any follow-up. Inactive clutter in the pipeline, minimal results. So then we took one of our inside people and we had them do one prospect per day Research, custom email, follow-up, 250 days, 250 qualified prospects with a 20% closure rate, which meant 50 new customers that were in those categories. So it's not all, you know, I ask our team, you know, we get very excited about sending out an email blast, and I'm like, or posting something on Facebook, and then I go and I pull out 10 people who are on that Facebook account or, or 10 people who've signed up for that email. They do not match our order entry system. It's, we, we try to take a much more targeted approach to who we're going after and how much time we're going to spend with those people. Because if you're going after 100 people, only 3% are ready to buy right now. And 7% are open to the, buy, the idea of buying, where they've been you know, dissatisfied with their current situation and they're not opposed to change. One of our reps, she gets very excited about having you know, a new client, and she wants to sell a million dollars. And I say, well, you need five new customers per month. And she's like, oh my God, I can't do that. But it's possible. You just have to do the, the legwork in the beginning as to who you're targeting. Like I said here, she's not gonna get there unless she's taken more of an approach of sales rep B. And then you gotta know where you are in the buying cycle. This is, this is critical to create the awareness the consideration to get the projects, the preference and the intent, the purchase, and then the repurchase. We don't consider them a new customer until they buy, buy from us twice. Then you have to handle the buyer concerns. You know, so whenever I'm working with the team and I ask them about appointments, I say, well, where are we at? Is there no need, no trust, no interest, no hurry, or are they not the right person to, to make the decision? And then I try to give them you know, the response. Let's identify which concern is present, resist the temptation to back off too early, assist in defining their real needs, not yours, and then persist in a way that shows you care. Most sales are made after the seventh no. 
sales statistics, relationships drive the sales process as we, as we all know. But some of these numbers up here, I won't read them all, but I, th I think these are the two telling ones. 10% make more than three contacts. I like to penetrate existing accounts and have 10 contacts. And then this one here, where 10% of sales are made on the fourth contact. We have a lot of salespeople that will just move on and work out of their email versus sticking to a plan and putting notes in their calendar to keep following up with that prospect. Because when you do, this is a, uh, a fortune cookie that I got. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And how you do that is by joining networks and embracing technology, asking for referrals, organizing your office. But being prepared is probably the most important thing. I have my presentation ready to go. I have bags of samples that are grouped in my trunk um, for any presentation. And this is one recently that I went to where I got to see a speaker. My client had a charity event. And he was giving out t-shirts to the crowd. And then he taught the whole audience how to juggle. And so afterwards, I went up to him. And I, and I told him it was the best day of work that I had all year. Made him feel good about his speech. And then I went right in. I was like, who does your juggling balls? And next thing you know, now we're doing 10,000 juggling balls and 500 t-shirts every month. So it's being prepared. It's, it's being able to you know, seize that opportunity. And if I didn't go to that client event or if I didn't join XYZ committee, then I'm not preparing myself to get the next, next customer. And speaking of client events, Every time we do a golf outing, we are working the registration desk at that golf outing. We want to be with our marketing team for our best clients. We want to go to their national sales meetings. And how I got a new customer last year was I, they asked me to bid on their national sales meeting. And I, she was the event planner. And I said, so who did you use last year? And she said, oh, we just used a local company. I said, did they just ship it down to Orlando? Yes, they did. And then she said, uh, I said, well, are you busy kidding everything? Are you working behind the scenes? Or are you out meeting with all your colleagues from around the country? And she said, oh, no, we're you know, locked in, in the conference room, and we're doing all that. And I just said, well, if you order from us, our philosophy is if you give us the business, we come down and we work the event for you. So we will work the registration desk so you can be at the pool, you can be with your colleagues. Right there, it was over. She didn't even go to anybody else. That was our opportunity to spend time with that marketing team at their event and have cocktails at night and sit and work at the registration desk. Plus, we got to meet every single person who was important to that company and get all those names in that contact list. I would highly recommend taking the time to go and, and work your client events. After hours workload. One thing we do is we do not travel during the middle of the day. We take 6 a.m. flights and 9 p.m. flights. Our days are filled with appointments. We try to schedule 4.30 meetings if we can. So then we take our CRM and we bill out a, I think Common SKU has 20 fields. We probably add another 10 or 15. But it's a very targeted approach and we, we try to force our team to fill out as much information because if, if we come up with a really cool item that's healthcare related, why do I want to send it to all our trucking companies? I want to be very targeted with our marketing efforts. And the only way to do that is to, is to sit down and, and force your team or yourself to get all the details and label your clients as A, B, or C. Are they an A? And an A client could be, 
could be you know, somebody that has a lot of potential, or it might be somebody strategic in your region. Then we build the territories. So this is a tool that we use. It's, it's a Microsoft product. It's called MapPoint. So you dump every, all your information into, from a spreadsheet into MapPoint, and then it gives you these push pins that you can scroll over and see your 2016 versus your 2017 sales with that particular client. And then it teaches us to focus on existing markets and being very visual. It just gives me a visual look at the US as to where our business is coming from. But you know, when I was doing a couple million in sales, 90% of it was out of state. So now I'm much more focused as selling regionally. We're really trying to focus more on our backyard. How we do that is we try to own the street. We go out to this one suburb that's about a half hour away. We call on this one client. They give us 30 grand a year. And there's probably 10 other companies on that street that we are not calling on. We try to help the rep through marketing focus on getting into those 10 companies. Why are you going to drive 30, 30 minutes out there if you're not going to go on two or three more calls? Spend the whole day out there. Or when we go into an office building or some type of tech center or office park, we are writing these companies down and we are trying to find the right contacts through LinkedIn that are in marketing or whatever uh, um, departments to focus on getting all the business in that building. So you don't want to be traveling all, around, all over the city going from appointment to appointment. You want to be able to focus your time as best you can and own the street. This is an example of an account penetration where we have one client that has $3 million in spend. We get 10% of that revenue last year. It's great that the customer shares this information. She doesn't show us the names of the companies, but she shows us the percentage that we're getting. And so we have a rep. This client's about an hour away from us. And he's like, I don't want to go up there every week trying to get this business from them. There's so many buyers. And I said to him, why would you, why would you give that up? Is it easier for you to go out and get another hundred or $200,000 client? Or what can we do from a marketing perspective? Or what can you do on a monthly basis to go up and capture that spend? Because you know, we're, getting, we're only getting 10%. And the biggest distributor competitor that we have is getting 27. How do we get some of this pie chart or some of theirs? It's a matter of looking at the numbers and trying to figure out where to spend your time. And he's, he's got one right in the palm of his hand, but he's not, he's, he's not thinking that way. So what we do through our marketing execution tool is we build behavioral scorecards. So we, we label, we put some criteria together that really shows um, how engaged a customer is with us. So our are they opening our emails? Are they clicking on the, our events that they want to come to? Are they buying a special offer? And then we have a scorecard so that when we're ready to do a mailing, I could say, we'll send that to our top 500 most engaged customers. Because after a year or two, you start seeing zeros next to people in your database. And I don't want to spend my time or my marketing dollars on people that are not engaged with us. This is the only way we can do it, is put together some type of point system and rank our, our prospects and our customers. And then we dedicate a certain amount of marketing to, um, within the budget. 10% goes to the universe, 30% goes to prospects, and 60% goes to our existing customers. So we want our, our existing customers more than anyone to feel the love. 
you know, sometimes if you're putting together a plan to maybe grow sales, you might reverse those two. But we're in the business of not losing accounts first. You know, margin, you're the one coming up with the ideas. We try not to sell out of catalogs. We don't send links to emails. We use common SKU, and those are our ideas. But a lot of times what we'll do to cover sample costs and things like that, we might add $10 to some setup charges. So instead of charging $35, we'll charge $45. And, and that, that goes a long way with, to, the, to the bottom line of the organization. You know, if you do 500 orders, that's five grand. Another thing that we practice is good, better, and best. I'm always prepared to never lose the order. So whether it's sweatshirts, I'm going in with a printed sweatshirt, I'm going in with maybe an embroidered sweatshirt, and then a full front tackle twill. Golf towels, we've got the pricing for every level, every budget, but we're always pushing them to do the woven and ask them, why would you give out a golf towel that is not better than someone's bag? you have to give out a higher quality towel or it's just gonna end up as a dish rag. Post-show meetings, this is another technique that, that we use. When we go, like I go to ASI Chicago, when I come back, I pick out five clients and I do a taste of Chicago. We cater in Uno's Pizza, Famous Amos Cookies, we get Garrett's Popcorn, Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, but we do a dog and pony show and we show them our top 20 items that we found at that event. Our clients are getting used to this. They like that it's, it's targeted, it's short, we can do it in an hour. But it's, it's expensive because you're, you're spending a few hundred dollars, but it goes a long way. The other thing that we do is we try to put out via social media and internally with our clients is 52 great promo ideas. Every week we are giving them something. And it's not like, you know, people who write the comic books um, or the comics, they're, they're planning months in advance. They're not just doing this that week. It's very easy to get into a mode to where you are just building ideas on the fly. We're trying to work three months ahead. Sometimes it gets to a month, but we're trying to do three months ahead where we are planning what we are going to be sharing with our clients um, every specific week of the year. We do a lot of product placement. This is where we, you would take a, you would invest in 144 hats, custom made, and you, if you have the, the right type of client and buyers out there, send them that hat. Make, you know, it's worth the thousand bucks. You're gonna make it back. You're gonna sell 5,000 hats. But if you put that best quality hat with, that's all NASCAR'd up in front of them and you have the right target, we're all about product placement with their brand, not the Shumsky brand, their brand. So make sure you ask for feedback, get feedback from your customers, survey them, and share that with your teams. They have to know internally what's going, what's going on and what's working. And then with your reviews of your team, make sure that you, do, you ask them to do fewer things and do them better. Give them a list of things you do that, or that they do that are a waste of time. That's what I'm asking our salespeople to do on a quarterly basis. Tell me what you're wasting your time on because I want to cross that off your list. And then we look for these, these key words when we're describing our sales team. Do they have commitment, discipline, focus, energy, confidence, desire, and passion? We can tell the people who are made for this industry. And then I'll, I'll share just two more things here. But I don't know if everybody knows who John Wooden is. But there's a great story about how at halftime he came in and he said to the center, no rebounds to the forward. You're getting beat up and down the court. And to the guard, you made no shots. 
And then the player says, but coach, we're winning 57-21. And he says, I know nothing about that. I'm speaking about your performance compared to your potential. You or your sales teams probably have a lot more potential. And you have to cross off those things that are they're wasting their time, get more efficient with, the, with their daily structure, and then their performance will be higher. There's only one way out of this industry. It's combine creativity and flexibility with limitless sales potential. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.